another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. What's good, Nathan? You know, we may be the only basketball podcast in the country where one of the two hosts decides that uh, in the middle of the playoffs, let's just go ahead on a European boondoggle for two weeks and just forget about the active games going on. But, uh, you know, I mean... I don't know if you're aware, but the Pelicans didn't actually win the title, right? Like they kept playing after <laughs> the Pelicans were eliminated in round one. I, I'm not sure where you left off and when's the last game you or ounce of basketball you've consumed. It's actually incredible how I missed like the exact entirety of the second <laughs> round. I think I might have caught game one and it was kind of a trippy experience because, you know, obviously being in Europe, you're nine hours ahead. And every morning, it's like I wake up, I immediately check my phone, also waking up early because of jet lag. And yeah. I just see these scores. And and sometimes they're surprising, right? It's like, what, Dallas blew out the Suns? Or the Suns blew out Dallas? And Grizzlies somehow won without Ja. And um, it was interesting, man. But without knowing what happened. And then just reading like all the text threads and comments, it was, uh, it was definitely weird. Yeah, well, I mean... If you think I can't again, I can't remember when you left, but if it was after game one, Milwaukee cruised without Middleton, right? Um, maybe maybe Boston had tied it up. I can't remember. Um, but that series looked like it was just at the start. Phoenix was getting just absolutely hammering Dallas, right? Like we were just like, oh, that's done. Goodbye, Luca. All this stuff. And then all of a sudden you look at it. And, and even like Philly, right? Like once – and Bede came back and they tied it up 2-2. You're like, okay, well, I guess this is the, this is their team with their actual superstar. So, yeah, this yeah, makes a lot more sense. Yeah, and Harden dropped 31, yeah. I think. Yeah. Right, so. and you're like, okay, so this is actually what we expected to see versus a top team like Miami. And then, of course, they folded like a deck of cards, as did the Phoenix Suns. You know, the Bucks were the most valiant of efforts, and then Ja got hurt. So it was kind of like a weird round two where we had – you know, it's like one of the seven game series, Dallas and Phoenix had literally zero minutes of clutch time. It was seven yep. straight blowouts. It was unbelievable. And then Boston, Milwaukee, which was a phenomenal series, kind of sputtered out in game seven, right? Because it was close until half and then they blew the doors open. So why don't we start with that series? So Boston and, and just for people to understand, we're recording this uh, Friday evening just before game two of Dallas uh, Golden State. So by the time you guys hear this tomorrow, that game would have already been played, but we'll start with uh, Boston and Miami tied up at one um, game. One was obviously the Jimmy Butler game. He had 41. They went on a crazy run and 22 to two run in the third quarter. But most notably, I think Marcus Smart and Al Horford being out was kind of a big deal. Game two, we saw um, all of the full strength Celtics minus Derek White. Absolutely just hammer. Uh, Miami they had no answers for them offensively or defensively they were up 25 at half and sent that one home so we're going back to Boston tied at one candidly before the series started I had Miami in seven um, I think I don't know where you landed there my prediction was as Celtic much as you six. shouldn't Celtic six okay so my prediction as much as you shouldn't bail after two games but given the recency king that I am <laughs> I can't get off this heat ship fast enough like the Celtics are I mean, we talked about this versus Milwaukee they're the most sustainable basketball I feel like I've seen in a long long time with their defenses I mean it's a juggernaut right it reminds me of even better version of like the death lineup warriors with that type of flexibility and then you come offensively and they have a superstar in Tatum who's finally solved his inconsistency issues so he's pretty pretty much bringing it every night Jalen Brown's been very good of late and then the fact the guys that they are a little bit streaky 
two of them will pop every game, but they'll have such a high floor because of the way Tatum and Brown have been playing. So early returns, Boston is in a great spot right now to, to potentially advance to their first final since 2010. Yeah, I think game two kind of, it solidified it for me as well. Like game one, the Heat were feisty. You got Jimmy Butler, but at the end of the day, I think having Horford and Smart back was huge. And I think Smart, the playmaking was outstanding in yep. in game two, um, where he was really a floor general and the ball was kind of popping and moving around the perimeter a lot more. They were getting a lot of good looks, and that's why they were able to shoot kind of lights out from three and actually. Lights out from two as well because they were generating such good looks and the Heat, the Heat are a little over aggressive the way they play defense, especially on the perimeter, which can work. But when you're when you're moving the ball like Smart was doing, um, led to a lot of open shots and kind of really good efficiency on offense. And at that point, like the Heat just can't keep up, right? And, and that's the that's the story for that team. Like they just don't have the firepower of the way that team well, is constructed. Well, Boston has perfected the idea of the two way player. Right now, with the way Smart is playing, like you said, offensively becoming the point guard of this team this season, right? And he's he still takes a little bit of like, no, 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 no shots. But like for the most part, he's playing a much more controlled band of basketball. You have Grant Williams, who came into the NBA, was not able to shoot. Suddenly, he's 41% from deep. Really, you could argue that every single player, except maybe Peyton Pritchard on defense, is good on both ends. To great on both ends, depending on who we're talking about. And so it is hard to punch holes through that. And, like, you look at Miami in game one, no smart. They were able to pressure Pritchard. They were able to turn the ball over, turn the Celtics over, and then my, and then Jimmy got hot. But even in that game, Boston was up double digits in the first half, right? Like, it kind of looked like from the start, you're like, oh, shit, if they're doing this without two of their five starters, what's going to happen when everyone's healthy? Miami won one, which I think is going to be crucial for this series to go long, but there's a real possibility Boston starts 2-0 and Miami has literally no answers. Now, Spolster is one of the best in the business. He's going to make adjustments. But one of the big things that I flagged is how many shots, in your opinion, without looking up, do you think Bam Adebayo has taken in two games? This is their max player, all-star, future of the team. How many shots do you think he's taken? 13. 10. 10. Three of six 13, in game I thought 13 was low. <laughs> three of six in game one. Three of four in game two. Sorry, three of four in game one, three of six in game two. How can you win with that? How can you even have a chance to compete? Bam looks like he did last year versus Milwaukee where he was just too scared and wanted to go home versus Giannis and Brooke Lopez, and they were just putting him in a torture chamber. Remember, with all that size and physicality, that's mm-hmm. exactly what Boston's doing with him, with Horford and Williams. Who, And even the fact when you do pick and rolls, like the smaller guys are not really small per se, so he can't actually assert his, you know, his physical advantages over guys like Smart or Jalen Brown. So... Jimmy's been amazing, but I'm just like looking around. I'm like, where's the help from your supposedly, you know, young superstar? Bam's been super disappointing. And I think he's always been the kind of guy, but he averaged 20 points, almost 20 in the regular season. He's always been the kind of guy who gets a lot of his buckets in the flow of kind of the pick and roll or getting the the entry pass. Putbacks or yeah. yeah, Putbacks. At the same time, he has a little bit of a mid-range jumper that he's just so hesitant to shoot it. So there are times I, in that game I, he's I, catching it kind of around the elbow. And it's not like he has a completely wide open shot, but he's got to take those and force the defense to kind of step out. And instead, he's immediately looking for the handoff. And it's a very passive way of playing. And, and you're right, the physicality bothers him, but it's like you need to step up given 
what you have on this roster. Like, there's no other clear number two besides Hero to Jimmy. Um, and Hero's streaky. So, Bam is, has been really disappointing. Hero's streaky, and then he gets hunted on defense. So, it's hard to, like, even if he's cooking for them to be able to go on a run because he'll get hunted on the other end, right? Like, yep. he's their version of Grayson Allen in this series. Now, he's an obviously better player than Grayson Allen, but as it relates to, like, kind of take attacking him Miami uh, Philadelphia tried to do that right as it turned out James Harden was like a bowling ball so he couldn't actually get around hero but that was the intention then you got guys like Victor Oladipo Caleb Martin who can't shoot for shit and so even though they can provide some defense they can provide a little bit of you know attacking the rim they're just going to be left wide open right they're going to get the Grant Williams treatment except by the way they can't hit seven threes in a game seven so it is not panic time by any measure in Miami but I'm looking at Boston like this is making my insides really like just hurt. <laughs> you but hate I it. don't, I honestly don't know how, and this is not a reverse jig. I don't know how they don't win the title this year. Like something crazy would have to happen, like an injury and, or I don't know what, like, but I just, they, they don't have, I, like I'm trying to envision how they've played. Think about this, dude. They have played three very different kind of offenses thus far. They played the Brooklyn Nets, ISO superstars, shot makers like you've never seen before, beat them, swept them, in fact. Then they played the physical Giannis, five shooters, like everybody go, like physicality, sort of getting down the court, open floor, beat them. Now they're playing this Miami team, which shoots a ton of threes, has another bruiser in Jimmy Butler from the wing rather than from the post, like Giannis, and... Obviously, it's 1-1. The series could go a number of ways, but it still feels like they have a handle defensively on this. So if you were Eric Spolster, like, what would you do beyond, you know, kind of hope 2012 LeBron comes back through those doors? I mean, I think defensively, there are a couple of things they can do differently. Um, one thing they're doing, they're sending <clears throat> the hard doubles at Tatum. Uh, in game one, they kind of it, it worked a little bit. They got him to to turn the ball a little bit over. But game two, he started picking that apart. You know, kind of swinging the ball quickly, and then their defense is kind of in disarray. And Boston, Boston, I forgot how many assists they had in this game. I think like twenty eight assists as a team. Yeah, let me. Pull um, yeah, twenty eight assists on forty. Three made baskets. Three makes. Um, yeah. Pretty good rate, right? For a team like Boston, which sometimes gets into very ISO-heavy offense. Yeah. And I think Miami is just playing so aggressively on defense on the perimeter that um, – and, and they're a team that's really disciplined when it comes to closing out three-point shots. But because of that, they're giving up looks all over the court. So defensively, right. I don't know. There might be some adjustments. Offensively, I don't know what you do, man. Like The starting lineup for the Heat is Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, P.J. Tucker, Butler, and Bam. Now, I know starting lineup doesn't matter as much because Hero comes in and Oladipo, but my point is you already have three like three guys who are kind of... I mean, Vincent's nice, Struess is nice, but him, those two nice and Tucker sometimes. are not going to carry your offense. Yeah, they're sometimes nice. Sometimes nice, and that's being still kind of generous, right? Yeah. And so Bam needs to step up. They need to get production out of someone because as good as Jimmy Butler is and has been in the playoffs he's also not a lebron type where you can expect 40 from him in a night in a big series and his three-point shooting is going to wax and wane so he's also not going to just you know keep you in games with with that aspect so i don't know man i i just think that 
you're going to have to tighten up defensively, muck up the game a little bit more. I think Boston's too comfortable on offense right now. And I think that's the only hope for the Heat to win the series is some yeah, adjustments they make on D. Where they could get some help, right, is Kyle Lowry coming back because it adds another shot maker, another good defender, another guy who can pressure Marcus Smart and the others when they're bringing the ball up. But I don't know that that version of Kyle Lowry exists right now, right? Yeah, he like, looks cooked. He, I mean, yeah, and like you think about, dude, like he's shooting. He's only played five games, but he's shooting under 30% from the field. He's shooting 29.7% from the field, 21% from three. Six points, five assists. So what are we getting? Like Kyle Lowry, the name, does not represent Kyle Lowry, the player, at this stage of his career. And at this stage of the season, right? There's games he's played well this year. I don't know if it's his injury or – I don't even know if he's coming back, frankly. But that's like the last shoe to drop is like what Lowry's return will be. And I'm afraid of the fact that they're kind of overcounting what that can mean. Whereas it's like, bam, dude, you make $30 million a year. Like fucking shoot the ball. Right? I never remember this many problems with stars having issues just shooting. Like, just put it up. Like, <sighs> look, and, and, and you know, you talk Boston offensively, like Tatum, the shot making, he's reached kind of superstar level shot making. Um, so it's very hard that even if you take away everything that they do, right, you try to get him out of their system, you know, he can really still bail them out. You know, uh, Jalen Brown can sometimes bail him out. There's nothing more backbreaking than the Al Horford pick and pop three <laughs> as he just kind of fucking lumbers down the court after that. Like, it's all, you know, it's, it's, and, and they don't have the Warriors kind of like ego as it relates to like the big runs where the Warriors yeah. start jumping and fucking <laughs> Steph is sitting in row four of the crowd somehow at one point. But you can feel it. It's very, very intense. Like, when they go on a run, you're like, dear God, this game is over. Right. And that's yeah. how it felt. In this, in the, you know, they're down 18 to 10, was it in game two? Before you look, it's 35 24 after the first, and it's it's over. There's no chance, right? And so I'm curious how Miami comes back. They could always get hot. You know, Gabe Vincent can go hit, or Max Drews can hit five, six threes, right? Like maybe Duncan Robinson gets dusted off for, oh for parts of, the, parts of uh, this series. But, you know, one of the things I worried about going into it is like you look at boss, uh, Miami's depth and you say, okay, front court depth is literally Bam and Butler and Tucker. Then what? Dwayne Dedman. Dwayne Dedman. Like Markeith Moore's, I mean, he's probably not going to play. And if he does, there's some break glass situation that took place. Yeah. Caleb Martin, I guess, is a forward, small forward wing. I mean, but he sort of sucks. Like he's okay. That's it. That's the list. And so you talk about Tatum, Brown, Williams. Grant Williams, uh, Robert Williams, Horford, Tice even. Like, that's a lot of size that you just can't get around, and they just keep coming at you. So, man, and now they're playing every other night. Butler could wear down at some point. Like, he's carrying a load and some. Yeah. I mean, I think your point earlier about the – it's so true. I don't think I've ever seen a team with this many players who are plus offensive and defensive um, across the board. Yep. And because of that, they'd never miss a step defensively and it allows them to go on these runs because you're you're countering your opponent with good defense and then you know you get hot and before you know it, the game isn't put away. So and, and we forget, look, game one, Boston was up in the first half, right? That's what I'm saying. Miami had that yeah. insane third quarter, but it wasn't like Boston got run off, you know, the court. 
Yeah, so you're so, talking about seven out of eight quarters, Boston's effectively won. And so yeah, how does so that translate I've, when you're talking and about now they're building, going back to getting Boston. performance? And right. now they're going back to Boston. Like, this is... Fans are going to be crazy. Like, look, this is a team... Tatum has been the second coming for a while, and he's he's somehow weirdly seen as a disappointment, despite the fact that him and Brown, I think, have played in three conference finals, and this was their yep. fourth, or is two, and this is a third. Like, Jalen Brown's played, I think, in four conference finals in, like, the seven years of his career, eight years of his career, right? So, like, they've been right there, and now they've put all the pieces together. You know, you talk about the fact that they did get a little fortunate with Simmons being out and... You know, I don't know what version of him that would have even existed, but let's just say they got lucky with the Nets team being in disarray a little bit, but that's more on the Nets than anything else. Then maybe Middleton being out, yeah, that could have changed the series. I still think that series is going seven, so you really think about it. Like Middleton being back, I would have picked them. I picked Boston in six because Middleton was gone. Assuming he played, I would have probably taken Milwaukee in seven, but if you're getting to a game seven anyway, you have a good shot. And now this series, it's like they're talent accumulation is in a way they were it's hard to believe they played 500 basketball for like a season and a half Mm -hmm. they were in the playing game last year they got murked by brooklyn in round one and i know there's no jill and brown and al horford trade hasn't been made yet but it's yeah they're horrible in the first half of this year so yeah it's amazing they were 17 and they were 17 and 19 and the mavericks were 17 and 18 at the same date. I think it was like December something or January 1st. So uh, unbelievable turnaround. I mean, what, what what are your predictions for the rest of the series? Like, do you think they Miami can get a split in, in Boston and come back and try to, you know, steal a pivotal game five? I still think it'll be six. I think they can, I don't know if they'll steal one in Boston. They could go down three, one, take game five, or they steal one in Boston and then lose the rest. I don't think they're winning more than another game. I just, I just don't see where the offense is coming from. Like, and the way Boston's playing right now is just. But I look she, at but, it like this, right? Like yeah. Hero going off one game, which he will, is kind of like Kyrie going off game one of that series, right? Where he had thirty nine, he was making every single shot, and they still won because they can kind of get every, they can stop. Yeah, they can stop everyone else. But yeah, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, but but your thing you said about it, they played three different offenses, styles of offense at least. I think it's a really good point. I think the Warriors would be a fourth, though. I don't think the yes. Warriors are are all, yep. they're also going to be a different challenge. But at the same time, everything Boston's shown and the way they've kind of played the perimeter makes me confident that they could slow down the Warriors, too. Um, yeah, I mean, for obvious reasons, the Warriors and the Celtics are my two least favorite franchises in the league. And if they played in the finals, I would cancel my YouTube TV before the series started. <laughs> That being said, from You'd a pure basket, yeah, right. For me, Dallas would have won the title. They would have been my Pelicans. <laughs> but in all honesty, from a basketball sort of like X's and O's, kind of like all the stuff you like to nerd out to, that would be the most fascinating matchup by far of what we have left, right? Because both teams are excellent on defense. Boston's got the physicality that's historically given Steph problems, right? They can throw Marcus Smart, Derek White, others mm-hmm. on him. Clay is Clay, but you know Jordan Poole. What's he? He's going to get cooked if he plays too much in this series. So, I mean, we're getting very ahead of ourselves, like breaking down uh, Golden State, Boston. <laughs> but I do think if you had to pick, like objectively, what's the 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 most beautiful version of basketball or whatever, you would pick that series. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. And 
guess what? That would do the craziest ratings. Just it's the league's dream. Boston historic franchise, and then you get the Warriors, which have always been a ratings goldmine. So let me ask you this, actually, on that note: if you were to, um, if you were to say at the start of this playoffs, so knowing all the teams that were in, so no Lakers, for example, would you pick Boston Golden State as the number one TV ratings, or would it be another one? No, I would have picked Warriors Nets. Nets. Okay, I was I was debating between the two. The thing is, the Nets don't have the local support. Like a lot of these ratings come from the local markets, and the Boston fans are gonna. That's true, right? And the, I don't think the Nets have been like seen if it was crazy if it was draw. Knicks if it was like Knicks Warriors. Yeah, I mean that's the number one, or like Knicks Lakers or something. Yeah, if Knicks are involved, yeah. But with the Nets, I'm just like I don't know. Kind of what you're right. The Nets aren't, haven't been a big draw in general, but in the finals. Kyrie playing the Warriors again, Durant facing off against his old team. It this oh, there's it so be, many storylines. I still think it would be better. Just you get so many casual fans who Wiggins don't care. got the vaccine, Kyrie didn't. They Did could it? talk about that at half court. <laughs> it, it would be. I mean, it'd be too good. We were robbed of some version of Philly Brooklyn, but I realized I was actually thinking about this. If there's some crazy way that the Nets beat the Celtics. Let's say they weren't down 3-0, but it was like a natural series and they won game one or something. You were pretty adamant and you turned out to be correct that Ben Simmons was not seeing the floor in that series, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm kind of curious, like, (laughs) if they kept going and the the series was like another, you know, their playoff lives, they kept going, they played like another month or six weeks later, would he still be fucking sitting on the sidelines in those just outfits and then just continually not play? Or would he at some point be like, all right, I'm healthy, I'm back. So if I just thought about this, I've flip-flopped because part of me is like, they wouldn't have leaked that news of him coming back if they didn't actually think maybe he could come back. Right. The other part of me was that they said that just to get people off their backs and show that he is trying to make it back and then they could always pull it, you know, retract yeah. the statement by saying he got injured. So I don't know, man. I really don't know. But at a certain point, I feel like they might have played him. If they were up 3-0, I feel like they would have played him. Second question. Do you think he actually had back surgery? Yeah, I think he must have. I think he must have. Do you think he needed the back surgery? Or he's just like, can I just get one of those? <laughs> so there's, oh man, Twitter's so funny sometimes. There were, um, he had posted a picture, right, from the hospital? Yeah, he was like cheesing and was like. And yeah. someone said like, I think the wristband, they're like, I think that says visitor on it. Like someone like zoomed <laughs> in and like. Like, the dude just rolled up to the hospital oh, to visit, man. took a picture, and I was like, all right, I'm good. The next year, Brooklyn Nets are going to be a movie. It's going to be absurd. Because I there's a world in which they just have to run it all back because they have no other choice. But there's another world in which I don't know if Kyrie's going to be there. Like, the, the quotes from Sean Marks Sean are Marks basically is, yeah. is like, <laughs> you know, they're basically as, like, un... Uh, supportive or sort of like as flip wishy-washy as you can be about bringing back a superstar that you know in other worlds you just be like yeah he's coming back um but anyway enough of enough of brooklyn they're out um okay anything else on boston miami no i think um yeah no i i honestly don't know i just i just hope over under over under eight and a half shots for bam tomorrow over 100 percent over he'll he'll be aggressive you would think <laughs> i'm still trying to get over shooting 10 times at home 
That's that's games. the other part. You're at home. This is like the most comfortable situation, and you're jack. You're only putting up ten shots across two games. And the first game no didn't sense. even have uh, didn't even have uh, Horford. So it's like the main guy who might be like you know good at defending you. He's not even there. But yeah, Bam. I don't know, man. I, he's a couple of years ago. The narrative. I mean, I don't know. We were talking about him for defensive player of the year this year, right? Yeah, he was second team all defense. My guy Jaron Jackson made first team. Bam is kind of like Jaron Jackson in that, like, both elite defensively, and Bam is better. They're both elite defensively, and they both like appear like they're trending towards a two-way dominance, like a twenty-two to twenty-four points per game kind of guy. And then they just like they don't get there, and then they just kind of peter out, and it's very confusing, right? Like Th- throwing this- DeAndre Aiden in there. Aiden yeah. also looked like he was kind of on a trajectory to be a solid scorer, and now he's. Yeah, you it's know, a great can, point. I mean, yeah. dude, you remember uh, freaking Bill Simmons had him as a top 20 player in the league last year during the playoff run. Now he's like, yeah. <laughs> how could I ever think about paying this guy? He's gone. Like, send him to Greece. Like, <laughs> and, you know, I don't I don't know what's happening in Phoenix. Um, their window is shut. I can tell you that much. Chris uh, Paul broke down. It's not shut. You don't but think so? They're not, if, they, if they, okay. I still think there's a path that they re-sign Aiden, which I know everything indicates it's not going to happen. I would, personally. That they could contend next year. I think they got one more year. Uh, Chris Paul, as disappointing as he was towards the end, this team, I mean, they were clicking all year long, even without Paul. I think they're so, all exposed. They were exposed, but, like, I mean, come on. You don't go 64-18 and 18 by accident. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something here. The Suns, the Chris Paul, Devin Booker Suns have played six playoff series together. They beat the Lakers without AD, the Nuggets without Jamal Murray, the Clippers without Kawhi, and the Pelicans without Zion. The two series they played healthy, Bucks in the finals, Mavs in round two, blew 2-0 leads in both. It's pretty get, damn I know. I know they've had... Chris Paul's 38 next year. They've had luck. I'm not disputing that, but I'm, they've got all the bones of a contender. Like they, They're a talented team, regardless of what happened. And it's like looking at the Clippers in the bubble and saying, oh, they mentally, they're fragile, they broke down, they'll never recover. Guess what? They were totally fine. And so I, the Suns but, can make okay, the same kind of Okay, but that's different back. because they had Kawhi freaking Leonard on their team, who's like a cyborg and a two-time finals MVP at that point. They, they don't the, the, the Suns don't have a player that projects to that level. No, but you have a system. You have a bunch of role players. Like My, my point is, it can happen. I think their yeah. bigger problem is Aiden, which it looks like they're not going to bring him back. And then what do you do? Because Aiden was still a crucial part of their success. Yeah, and then at that point, if you're getting, if you're not bringing back Aiden, you have to rethink everything. Because let me let me ask you something here, because I was thinking about this, and we're going to get to the draft lottery here in a second. First, we're going to touch on Dallas, uh, Dallas Golden State. But I was thinking about the West next year, like, right? Because a lot of people were like, "Oh, the East finally like kind of came over," and we all know how stacked the West is going to be. But you actually try to break down playoff positioning. Let's go through the teams in the West, not just who is going to be at the playoffs, but specifically who probably believes they have at least one, if not two, top 20 players next year, right? So let's start with the two teams right now. 
Warriors, obviously Steph, right? Dallas, mm-hmm. Luca, Phoenix, Golden, uh, sorry, Phoenix, Devin Booker, and maybe Chris Paul, depending. I mean, he was a top 20 player this year. Um, Denver, oh, two-time MVP, Jokic. Yep. Lakers, freaking LeBron and AD, who are going to be on a vengeance tour, right? They're not going to sit back. Clippers, Kawhi and PG. Pelicans, Zion, right? Timberwolves, you could even argue Cat, who's probably going to make All-NBA this year, and uh, Anthony Edwards, who, you know, maybe is trending towards that top 20, 25 range. Utah, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, perennial all-star All-NBAs. So you're looking at, and I might have forgotten. Kings, a, oh, oh, what the hell? Freaking, uh, well, before I get it, Memphis, Ja, 56 games, second seed. Kings, who don't have a top 20 guy, but they, you could argue that second half of the year, Fox is a top 30 guy. You yeah. could argue Sabonis has certainly been a top 30 guy at multiple points of his career. So like, this jostling, I don't know that people are like contextualizing it enough. Like, this is crazy. You can't just say Phoenix is going to come back and 64 wins is going to repeat itself. In the last two years, the narrative has been the East has all of a sudden overtaken the West. But I think next year it's back, all back out West. Because a lot of the, even the East stuff was fool's gold this year. Brooklyn fell apart. Chicago, Cleveland, these teams that look really good kind of just peered out. Philly also disappointing, right? So I agree. Yeah. The West is going to be a bloodbath. That's why. We need Bradley Beal for the Kings. Yeah, so we've talked about this offline. I hate Bradley Beal, so I'm more than happy to give him to you. He, We're about to sign him to maybe what's going to immediately become the worst contract in the history of basketball. Five years, $260 million for a guy who has had a declining three-point percentage each of the last five years. But nonetheless, Kings are obviously looking to, to continue their ascent towards the play-in tournament, which we're all hoping they get to next year. <laughs> Um, there is a deal to be made. Now, Beal is a free agent, so you'd have to choose wherever he plays, whether that's in Washington or elsewhere. My guess is he's not choosing the Kings, but who knows? You know, crazier things have happened. Um, but let's let's quickly hit on Dallas, Golden State. And again, they're playing in like 15 minutes, so we're not going to go crazy on the analysis here. You know, game one is is why the Warriors are so damn good. Once they step on your neck, it's over. Uh, they have an elite, elite ability, especially in the third quarter. They're always historically famous for their third quarters. Come out of halftime, guns blazing, hit a few threes, get some deflections, get some steals, defensive stops, and suddenly you're down 25 when you thought you were down like seven. That We've seen this literally for the last set seven years. At the same point, Luka's not going to shoot six of 18 again. Dallas took 48 threes. Uh, of which 44 were deemed open or Insane. wide open. Insane. And they only hit 11 out of those 48 threes. So there is some reversion to the mean expected. But but what do you think? Like, again, I'll be candid. I picked Dallas in seven. So I'm starting to wonder why I, what I was thinking and was I just riding too high on Luka? Or do you think they have a real shot? Because they went down 2-0 and the same questions were being asked about whether they could really compete with the top dogs. So where, where are you at on, on this series? I think they got no shot. Now, I, I, hear the argue, I hear the arguments, right? I think Golden State, what Game 1 revealed was they're still very flawed defensively. Um, you can say part of the game plan was to let everyone get shots, but like you said, that stat, 44 out of 48 open threes, to a team like Dallas, who last round had four guys shoot above 40% from three across the series, yeah, they can kill you like that. 
So that's a recipe for disaster for Golden State, and they are going to lose a game or two because of Dallas's shooting. But I also the the reason I don't see Dallas standing a chance is because as good as they've been on defense, they're not constructed to stop a team like Golden no. State. And no. the thing that bothers Golden State is having someone at the rim who can kind of uh, can when those back when they run those back cuts when they're trying to get to the rim can actually provide a deterrent force there. Um, you know, we saw that with Jaron Jackson, Steven Adams. We saw that with, I mean, Jokic, not as much, right? But that's when Golden State can kind of get out of their rhythm. When there's no one, and, and Dallas has Maxi Kleber and these, you know, Dwight Powell, whatever. He's not really a, a big, big patrolling the paint. They're just, dude, the movement on offense for Golden State was, I haven't seen them with that type of, just this reminded me of the 2017 2016 kind of warriors and the swagger yeah. like you saw like the way they were dancing and celebrating we make fun of it but the swagger is back in a way that i haven't seen yet this season and i think they just feel way too comfortable and they withstood a relatively bad shooting game from steph curry he played better in the second half a really bad game from clay thompson and they still blow you out like i just don't see dallas winning four out of the next six yeah, look, I think Dallas is in a position where, and in general, when you play the Warriors, you kind of have to play perfectly because the Warriors are able to extend the game with their three-point shooting and with the fact that they're able to get so many stops. So it's real. it feels like a game against them is like a really long time. And I think that's that's probably the hardest thing to do because Dallas wants to play a little bit slower, a little bit more methodically. And Golden State wants to run. So defensively, you're looking at it like guys like Reggie Bullock, Dorian Finney-Smith, they're good on-ball defenders. They're not great at chasing and running people around. Similar with Luka. Brunson yep. and Dinwiddie are not exactly fast. So you look at the Warriors and their motion offense and like everything flying around. I mean, part of the reason they have so many turnovers because it's pure chaos. Dallas's only hope is to just make this a turnover mess. But they don't have the team like Memphis does, where it's like a bunch of crazy athletes who can force turnovers at those rates, right? Like they have a team that's a little bit more of a traditional defense. Like let's guard the pick and roll straight up. Let's switch. Let's box out. That's not really how Golden State plays. And so, you know, this is going to be a tough matchup. I think even in the regular season, as even during Dallas's great like run defensively, they weren't necessarily – they didn't do great versus the Warriors. Uh they, they won games, but it wasn't like because of their defense, right? They were yeah. high scoring like shootouts. And so again, like Dorian Finney-Smith had what, eight threes that one game versus Phoenix. He's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a hard recipe to count on. Um, the other thing is, and this is the real test for Luca, which is like when, when the Warriors played the, Le, the LeBron Cavs and they have so much experience playing this like heliocentric type, offense and the hardened rockets right yeah. like how many series do they have combined against these two players lebron was better than harden but they both got their numbers right but they were still kind of controlled like the shooting percentages weren't great luca didn't really get his numbers and he didn't shoot the ball well and he didn't get anyone else involved uh in game one so i'm really interested to see how he bounces back the thing that's most annoying about the warriors frankly is draymond green is infuriatingly good on defense like his anticipation his timing 
his sense of where to be, his court awareness, and not to mention like his physical gifts. Like he's got a really long wingspan. He's strong. He can't be pushed around. Like we saw him even give Jokic problems in round one. It's hard for Luca, who's like the ultimate kind of puppet master on the court to deal with like someone who's his true uh, foil, right? He's met his match in a way in Draymond. It's really like watching like Peyton Manning versus Ed Reed and like, you know, from those sides of all. And I think, I don't know like what he does. He's going to solve them to some degree, but will it be enough to sustain for 48 minutes while they're just blitzing you on the other end? I mean, it's going to be tough. Like I, I think Dallas obviously needless to say has to win tonight. Like I know they came down, came back from 2-0 versus Phoenix. I don't just don't see that happening here. So tonight's effectively a must win. They're going to throw everything they can, I think, at uh, at the Warriors and see what happens. And hopefully they can make more threes and keep this close. The one thing Dallas has going for them is you've got the best player in the series. If it goes to a Game 7, yes, it's at Golden State. I feel good about having Luka. Oh, in yeah. the t- if it's a tight game in the fourth quarter, 100%. I feel way better about having Luka. And we've seen that Warriors... You know, in the past, when it's in a tight game, you can't rely on Steph to kind of bail you out. You can't rely no. on Clay. Things get, you know, really, really tight. You want a guy like Luca in those situations. So to me, in this that is sense, like, they've got the best the, player. Do you value the player or the system? And I think most series are won by the player. Now, Steph is an all-time great. So in, in some senses, Golden State gets the benefit of the player and the system. But you're right. He can't just – they don't run the traditional pick-and-roll offense where they're just going to let him go to work. That's not his style. Suddenly, some of those threes don't fall. Suddenly, like some careless passes are made, and all of a sudden, Luca is going to put you put you down. So, I think yeah. it, Dallas is this is a war of attrition. They just have to somehow extend the series as long as possible. That starts with winning tonight. And and Steph is is not the same player he was even no. a year ago. The shooting Correct. is it kind of comes and and this is not this is honestly not an insult, but like now the shooting comes more in the front running situations where it's like he'll start hitting them when they're like piling on the lead and, and building it up. But if they're down 10, 15, he doesn't feel like he's going to carry you back with his shooting. Agreed. Um, like he might have, you know, a couple of years ago. So I, I think Dallas needs to just control the game, withstand those runs. And, I, you know, after one game of tape, I'm sure they're going to figure out some ways to, to slow Golden State down a little bit. But yeah. I don't know, man. I'm super stuff. excited for tonight, man. I obviously love watching Luka and have a soft spot for him. But – at the same point, I think Golden State's such—it's really like the Death Star. Um, yeah, they just continue marching on, and like we've seen all these other like dynasties kind of coming or mini mini runs, I guess, come and go in the same era. And then they hadn't made the playoffs for two straight years, right? And so it's kind of yeah. like as much as this feels like uh, inevitable that they're back in the conference finals, you could argue that the run was over. And so for the fact that they've retooled, they somehow added Jordan Poole. Like it's amazing. Like you have to give them credit for it's, the fact that you know. I have to, you know, put aside the hatred, and it, it really is incredible what they've what they've done. Um, yeah. I mean, you look at freaking Brooklyn. Sorry to bring them up again. They can't even go one season and play well with all the <laughs> star power. So it's not just about having stars. Like, there's a lot more that goes into it. You know. Yep. Maybe this is a transition. You get to a, a piece of that star, right? A piece of the Death Star next year. Hiring Mike Brown as the the, the head coach of the Kings. Which transitions us. Before we go, who's your pick tonight? I like Golden State. All right, I'm going Dallas. Fuck you. All right, let's talk Actually, lottery. Originally, I had Dallas winning this game. Uh, I'll go with that. No, I'll stick with Golden State. Let's see. 
I guess I don't know what the line is. It's probably like Golden State, like six and a half or something. Nah, it's um, probably smaller than that. Let's see. It's six. Damn. Oh, guess wow. the lines. Okay. Um, I would totally take Dallas in the points there. Well, if Warriors win, you could see them winning by more than six. Yeah. yeah. Plus free throw shooting at the end. They're all 90%. They'll never miss. That's the problem. Um, I'm done with gambling, by the way. I retired. <laughs> I got. I was doing great. Then the playoffs started, and I've gotten absolutely eviscerated. Like it's, it's ugly. Like you, dude, dude. Every game is a blowout. By the way, like yeah. I think the last ten playoff games, the average margin of victory is like twenty two. So it's been you bad. can't do the stat parlay thing. I like because guys will play like twenty eight minutes because their team is down fifty points. Like it's just shitty. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's talk. Let's talk lottery. So. The draft lottery, which is mine and your uh, favorite night of the year, usually, um, and it was this year uh, because both of our teams were in it. Um, so that that happened on Tuesday, like I mentioned. So the big the big news was your Sacramento Kings, of course, jumped up to the number four spot, and then the Oklahoma City Thunder jumped up to number two. So Orlando's picking first, Houston third, Detroit fifth, uh, Indiana sixth. That's a top six. Um, let's just start with the Kings here, like. There's often a consensus top three, and then there was kind of everyone else. That consensus top three might be changing, which means one of those guys could fall to you. So where are you at in terms of like the prospects, like your dream scenario, and who you think are the ones that your you know, Kings fans are, are debating right now? First of all, incredible that we jumped. Um, there's nothing. Yeah, like what's your emotion, feeling? first of all, right? Dude, yeah, there's nothing the like picks. the feeling of – so we were supposed to be seventh, right? So mm-hmm. obviously after the – and you're always worried when the – 11th card, 10th card, 9th card get announced that you see your logo, which means teams jumped ahead of you. It's really Then it comes down to, so you survive that. Then you come down to seven, and then you're just hoping to see no purple, just any other color, right? And the moment you see something else, it is the most exciting thing because once we know we're not seven, we know you're, you're jumping into the top four. And then there's like that, that anticipation, the commercial break before they come back. And then we get four, which in typical Kings fashion, three-player draft, of course, we were going to get the fourth pick. Um, and, and it's only been two days since the draft lottery, but I'm telling you, it's feel it feels like it's been a month with the amount of discourse with my Kings friends on, on text, with Twitter, with Reddit, because this is a really controversial pick. We've got three options that, it's, mm-hmm. you know, outside of trading the pick, it's, it's Shade and Sharp, yep. who... Did not play at all for Kentucky this year. Good stuff. Um, good sign. Keegan Murray, who in you know, Iowa, good player, questions around his ceiling. And, you know, he's very more of a guy to draft player, around right? six and seven. Very productive. Uh, high floor. And then there's Jaden Ivey, who at Purdue, combo guard, strong, physical, um, you know, fast, can get to the rim. A lot of people say John ja Morant. I, I don't think he's that great of a comp to job, ja, but the hair kind of adds to it. To me, he's kind of like uh, maybe like a – he's not quite the passer, but almost like a John Wall because he's a little bit bigger than Ja, right? Ja's he is. A little, he's a little lankier. Like Wall is a little bigger, physical, not a great shooter, maybe not a great defender, but like a freak athlete. But anyway, continue. So it's between those three, um, and there's there's an argument for each. The argument for Jade and Ivy, people are saying – BPA, who cares if he's a guard? Like, he can work with Fox. Argument for Shaden Sharp, highest ceiling. Swing for the fences, you might get a star. And then argument for Keegan Murray is, 
this team is trying to make the play in. He is the kind of most ready to play right now. And Monty McNair's job is on the line because his contract ends after one season. So he might make the win now move. Uh, which which begs the question, is the win now move really to trade the pick? And so that's why they're looking, you know, there's a report already out. They may trade for a veteran. I think the best case scenario is they trade down a slot or two. So you have Detroit at five, Indiana at six. My hope is we we put out a lot of smoke saying we love Ivy. And then one of those teams really wants to get him and they trade an asset to us. Kings fans want Jeremy Grant. I don't think they're going to give us Jeremy Grant to move one spot. But, uh, but yeah, so anyways. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So Jeremy Grant and you get the fifth pick? Yeah. And, and they move off they of get? Jeremy Grant's contract, right? I don't know if he's part of their long-term plans necessarily. I thought me and you already hammered out the deal that that was going to happen. It's going to be number 10, the Wizards pick, Kyle Kuzma, Denny Abdia, promising rookie, Corey Kispert, sharpshooter, um, also a second-year player, four, number four, and Harrison Barnes. I thought, this, we kinda call, I thought we already called that one into the league office. This, I wish. This is the best trade. Like, I don't, like, you love this trade, don't you? I mean, I would walk myself to New York to get this submitted. And somehow. I love this trade. And how often do you see two fans of a team, like, love a trade so much for their teams? You're telling me we get uh, Kuzma. Or first of all, we get Beal, who. No, no, NBA. no, not Beal. Not Beal. The Beal trade is separate. Oh, okay. We're separating. But, anyways, yeah. you're telling me we get Kuzma. Great win. Who was very good last year. Yep. We get Danny Avdia, who, you know, mixed feelings, but he's still a young prospect. Corey Kispert, just a rookie last year, some shooting. And we get the 10th pick, which could be Benedict Matherin. You know, you can get a, there's some good contributors. It could be Matherin. It could be Johnny Davis from Wisconsin, Big Ten Player of the Year. I think that checks off the boxes on, you get enough young talent that you still have promise for the future. And you get Kuzma, who could help you win now. That to me is because to be honest with you, right? Because to be honest with you, if you're going to draft Keegan Murray at four as like a win now move, you're better off drafting Matherin, who's a little bit more of a project, and getting the win now player and Kuzma and Kispert and even hundred percent, hundred percent. So that that is uh, a no brainer. But anyways, back to the Kings pick. If they don't trade it, I'm all on the Shade and Sharp. Mm. I've decided I want Shaden Sharp. I don't care that you can't find any footage of him outside of in empty gyms and playing against, you know, five five white boys Sask- in high school. Saskatchewan guys who are fishing like ice fishing like right before yeah. and after the game. He's he's a mystery man. I love it. I love just the allure, and you don't know he could be terrible. He could be amazing. <laughs> he he wasn't reminds me of Marvin, Paul George. Wasn't this the Marvin Bagley? Uh, uh, rationale he could be amazing or he could be terrible let's go with him yeah well Bagley I don't want to talk about Bagley but with Sharp if you if he's one of those guys when you watch him Paul George is the biggest comp just because the fluidity the way he can kind of get to his spots hit shots athleticism and I, I think and there's a lot of questions around does this guy no one knows what his attitude's like he's a very kind of quiet reserve guy he said in a recent interview who his favorite tv shows are vampire diaries and riverdale so he's an interesting character but Riv- I don't know. riverdale is the is the one on uh the archie comics right yeah yeah that's a tough um if he said like succession and we own the city and you know 
Ozark, then I'm drafting him fourth, maybe first. But. Yeah, and and look, I, I don't read too much of that stuff. But then the last guy, you know, we took who had some interesting hobbies was Willie Cauley Stein, who talked about how he loved to paint all day. Nothing <laughs> wrong with that, but it, clearly that guy did not care about basketball um, and did not put in the work. Miles but, Turner is spending his offseason getting like tattoos of every Marvel character known to man instead of like coming back healthy and learning how to play play fifty yeah, games he's, in a row. Exactly. So I. Maybe that should worry you, but overall, I think that's the highest upside pick. And yeah, man, we'll see. All right. So the Mavs Warriors game has started. So we're going to go watch. Before we go, who is your top three in this draft? How would you rank them? Jabari, number one. Okay. Chet, number two. Paolo, number three. Sharp, number four. Ivy, number five. Murray, number six. I go Paolo one, Jabari two, Chet three, Ivy four, and then Sharp, I guess, five. Though I don't have a real feel on Sharp yet because I haven't deep dove into the recesses of YouTube and try to find his footage here. The, the, the last thing I want to say about Ivy, Ivy is so interesting because everyone keeps saying John Morant. The more you read about his flaws and strengths, the more you watch the tape. You know the two players he reminds me of a lot? Okay, who? Dennis Smith Jr. <laughs> and Tyreek Evans. And the Tyreek Evans comp is scary because Jaden Ivey only has one hand, which Tyreek was really relied on one hand. Both excellent finishers, both big combo guard type players, decent passers, streaky shooting. And we saw how that turned out. So we still don't, we still don't know what happened to Tyreek because if 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 Ivy comes after his rookie year and averages twenty five and five like Evans did, we're gonna be like holy shit this guy is the future Hall of Famer. So we don't know what happened to Evans after that rookie year. We, it's unclear how how things fell apart for him. He just never got better. He he maxed out and same thing with Dennis Smith Jr. Right, some of these guys they're best in their rookie year and then they just they don't get better because we always assume these guys are going to develop a shot. They're going to, you know, improve in all these different ways. Sometimes it doesn't happen. So Jan Vesely was uh, his best in his rookie year, but unfortunately that was also his worst at the same time. So, Um, but yeah, all right, that's a wrap. Uh, Please rate review and subscribe to thick and thin hoops. Please follow us on social media. We actually got a few people text me with mailbag questions that I keep forgetting to bring to the pod. So if you're one of those people, keep sending it to me. I'll start writing them down so we can actually address them live uh, versus me just texting you and saying, hey, that's a good question and then forgetting <laughs> about it. So that's that's on me. Maybe we'll do it on Instagram and just have people sending questions that way. So we'll have an actual record of it. But thanks again. Enjoy the playoffs and we will talk to you next week. Bye.